Hi, DFW Den Gospel Radio family. This is Dr. Sheila Pope. Um, I'm the producer and host of Conversations with Dr. Pope, and I'm bringing my syndicated show to prime time at 2 p.m. Mondays through Sunday. I look forward to having many great conversations with you. Uh, be sure and watch the show on the P.O.P.E. channel on Roku. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook um, at our handle, Conversation with Dr. Pope. Or feel free to reach out and call me at 832-340-5521. I look forward to hearing possible great topics and things that um, are happening in your community that I can possibly share on the radio show. Uh, again, I look forward to having great conversations on the DFW Dan Gospel Radio Station. Woo! All right, all right. Uh, uh, you know, after yesterday's show, I am so amped up. Now, I had planned on yesterday's show to talk about, you know, who are you reading to soothe your soul? And then I got all off on the Biden-Harris ticket. So, before I knew it, my time had just went. I didn't even take a break. I was just on it yesterday. So today, I hope I can carry on that same energy in this show. First of all, I want to say I've been listening to some new music. I'm loving some of the stuff that I know. People are like, okay, really? The WAP song or WAP? I don't know how you pronounce it. Uh, that one is, why it's explicit. I tell you, um... It, it you know now we got all these songs out where women are really just coming out and saying okay what they like what they want how they get what they get and you know as a Christian it's like hmm okay how do I feel about that I feel like you know obviously I believe in marriage first but I know as a a woman that has been around a lot of I love hip hop I love rap I love old school rap but I am also for feminine empowerment. And I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the empowerment part, but I'm, I'm like, oh, I don't know how far is too far. I don't know yet. Have we reached that yet? I don't know. I like the, like, they got another song, Respect. That's got Cardi B, Nicki Minaj, uh, Megan Thee Stallion, all these, Lizzo, a lot of the women in there. And they're saying some things about respecting their bodies and what they want, which I agree. But, woo, the videos, the videos, the videos, I don't know. What are we telling our girls? What are we telling our girls? Especially our black girls. I I, I love that they have the, the confidence to to say what they're saying and putting it out there. But I'm just trying to figure out have we gone way too far because it says there's some whores in this house. I don't like us calling ourselves whores, but I get the concept. I get the concept. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole lot there. But, you know, I'm going to say that for another day because... But I was just listening to it before I came on to do my show. Because they're high energy. Now, the songs are high energy. I think they sampled Sierra. They even put a little Spandau Ballet in, in um, the one called Respect. So, uh, I like the song, the music, the dance part. But I'm listening to the words, and it's almost to the point now. I'm saying, mm, can we let our girls, young girls, hear this? And our guys, because my, my son, he likes the songs, too. And I'm realizing, you know, there's a little hypocrisy in the fact that I'm even talking about it on a gospel radio show. But the reason I brought it up, because that is the point. How is the church reaching out? 
how are we now as women in the church? You know, I was raised on this Proverbs 31. That was my goal since I was 16 years old. I wanted to be the woman that the people knew in the business community. I wanted to be the woman that, you know, ran her home, that her husband would be proud. I, I wanted to be all that. But also, I, I think we're not talking about the side that they say, you know, the inner, the innermost freaky side of wives, Christian wives. Does your sexuality, your desire stop because you're a Christian? No. Do we put a video out like that? No. <laughs> no. But can we express what we need and what we want to our husbands? Are we doing that? Are we able to express and, and do the things that husbands want their wives to do and also what they're going to these strip clubs to see? Because let's be real. It's a whole lot of Christian men. Yeah, Christian men heading to the strip club, watching pornography they're doing all the same thing so you know that's another topic for another day but i'm just saying that was on my mind because i was jamming to the song and as i listened to it i was like "Mm, i like the song but i gotta honestly say ooh, the words some of the words some of the visuals uh you know is, is have we just got to the point where we down to just shaking our booties in the video can we express ourselves other than that, but is that, that if that's what they want to do, if that's how they're portraying their strength and empowerment, who am I to not? I, I just, I think that's something that as a Christian woman, I'm like, I think we can have a balance because they're all, they're all making money. Cardi makes no apologies that she was a stripper. Uh, I think we are now taking classes with women are taking classes, learn how to get on that pole and work magic at their houses and in the exercise room. So we know as Christian women, we want to express and keep ourselves just as relevant in the bedroom as we are in our, you know, our spiritual walks. You know, I, I don't think we have to be on the pole, though, at strip club. Now, that, that's just me, but I do know we can have, uh, like, ex-strippers, uh, women who are, you know, rappers or whatever. They're coming out and they're saying, hey, this is, this is what we, are, we want. And we're we're saying this is how they how we get what we got, and do you want it this way? We have choice, but I'm just saying that was that was a moment. So as I explore these topics thoroughly, you know, I'll, I'll come back to this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna segue into what feeds your soul because I love music, and music I think it it can it can ensnare you. You know, you can listen to some good stuff. Uh, my son, uh, he's 21. I find that he likes some of the same music his dad and I used to love. Fat Pat. Uh, he's into a lot of the rap songs that I like. But he also stuck in the 70s. I'm like, dude, you were not even born in 1970. He's born in 98. And he's rocking the whispers. He loves the whispers as the beat goes on. A lot of the old songs that I used to listen to, uh, I still listen to, Gin and Juice, you know, uh, a lot of the old school rap songs, now a lot of them in the videos uh, for the games that they play. Almost all of the old school songs are in the videos. So it's they're, they're being introduced to a whole new generation of listeners. So while I talk about hip-hop songs, I want to talk about, too, some of the books that I've read that make me feel like just as good as listening to a hip-hop song. There are some books I've read that had me so amped, I could not put them down. You know, I can, t- I can find a song like Brandy sitting in my room. I can play that over and over and over. 
some of the Mary J. Blige over and over and over. And then there are some Christian songs that when I play, ooh, Oceans by Hillsong. Oh, mm, I mean, it, they move me in a whole other direction. They move me on, I mean, when I think about how good God has been to me, how he has allowed me to walk out in places where they say, well, feet may fail. Oh, I, I get all emotional. I got some songs, um, you know, I can listen to anything by Tamla Mann and I almost have a conniption, you know. that That's what she does. It's And, of course, Yolanda Adams. Who can't listen to Yolanda Adams and, and uh, have a moment? Okay? Because she, her music still, it speaks to you. You know, you ain't got to, you don't shake your booty to it. You don't gyrate to it. You don't have all these thoughts with it. It is more of, of of the thoughts that get you where you go, God. Yeah, I, I I need to trust you. I need to know that this battle is not mine. This battle is yours. And there are some things you know we go through every day on the regular that you you know you want to um, put your convertible top down. Yeah, I'm a Mustang and Mercedes girl. Uh, I've, I've owned both. I love both. And I find when I used to drop my top on my Mustangs, that was like the time where I was free, just going to Galveston. I can listen to Yolanda Adams, uh, Fred Price, oh, Fred, excuse me, Fred Hammond. Ooh, Fred Hammond, man, I tell you. So when you, when I think about music, I'm not just talking about hip hop, but I, I brought that up because we have, as black women, I'm looking at where we're going in our images. And I'm not always happy with where I see us going. But I, I also don't want women, young women, to feel like they have to go all the way backwards to feel like um, they're not Christian if they only show themselves, you know, one way. I, I, I want young women to be able to articulate what they do want, and but I also want young women to know that there, there are so many other things that you can listen to and read that can touch your soul, that can make you excited that can make you stop in your tracks and just say, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that I have a radio show. Thank you for the television show. Thank you for all of that. And then, you know, there are some times when you just, you just got to drop the top, put the fat pad on, and you got to say, tops drop, tops drop. You know, that that's just where I am in my life. I'm only 51. So uh, I think in the church, we, 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 are, we started realizing too, let's make the music, uh, that we have for Christian songs, let's attract more young people. Let's get them because praise and worship is where I think everything starts in church. I know I, when I used to attend Lakewood, I would not come until it was almost time. And I was just when I was 16, I would attend Lakewood. And I didn't show up until it was almost time for the pastor to start preaching. And my mother's always say, you need to come for praise and worship. And I'm like, ah. I'm going to get them when the word is spoken. And then as I got older, I realized with CC uh, Winans, man, BBSCC, they started like Addicted to Love. That was like the first song I really rocked to that was a Christian song, but you can play. I mean, and you know, snap your fingers and really get into it. And and I, I was like, man, it, 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 it touched your heart. It touched your emotions. It, it fed my spirit, but it had a different sound different tone and and i think that's what you know in the whiners i think we can we can contribute to bringing that kind of element into mainstream 
they started really targeting and I think and allowing the Lord and the Holy Spirit to help them really reach another audience. And so that was my segue into saying, hey, Christian music can, you know, you can be proud and rock it in your car, rock it in your headphones, you know, everywhere and, 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 you know, do great things. Now with Hillsong TV, Hillsong has taken, I think, contemporary, uh, the Christian music and taken it another step further too. Uh, that you can have, you can see how it touches the masses and it still gets the word out. It's just a different vibe, a different feel. Uh, and so th- those things, you know, as a creator, a creative type, I need, I need music. I, I, I have to find, even to find music in my shows, I have to buy copyrighted, you know, buy music, get a license for songs. And I try to find songs like I had a kind of content, quiet. I don't know. I, my first two seasons of the show, my music was one way. Now this time I listened to my kids and I got a little bit more upbeat because I, I, I have different feelings, different moods based on what I'm feeding my spirit with. So there are days like today. Today was a Cardi B, Meg The Stallion morning. <laughs> And then I came on and said, okay, let me sit down and talk about what I've been reading that has touched me and moved me as a businesswoman, as a Christian woman. And I think a lot of people may say, well, Dr. Pope, how in the world can you talk about Meg Thee Stallion and all these people on a Christian radio show? Because we need to talk about this on a gospel radio show. Everybody's not listening to gospel 24-7. They are feeding their spirits with a whole lot of things, and we need to talk about this because in our with our children, I want to be able to ride in my car. When if I put on a gospel song, my my kids are gonna most of them will sing right with me. But my oldest is kind of like, oh, here she go. So I I I like, hey, I want to have a peaceful time in his car, listening to his music. Some of it's way out there, and I have to tell him I don't think that was appropriate for the kids or me to hear you saying and singing. I do put my mom, you know, veto on something, but then I also have to say he's 21. I have to walk out my walk in front of him. I have to show him how a Christian walks, acts, behaves every day versus, you know, battling on song selections. So those are just some things that, you know, I'm I'm putting out there for you this morning. That's what's on my heart. That's what I'm doing now on the show. All right, segueing into the books, okay? I have several authors that I think have been instrumental to me. Believe it or not, I do a lot of business books. I know. I do. I read a lot of stuff like autobiographies, memoirs. I do that. I read, um, okay, some of it's just trash. <laughs> People say Eric Jerome Dickey. You know, hey, it's 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 a uh, it's not academic, but it show makes my soul feel good. I enjoy the journey in his stories and his books. So I'm gonna go with some of the things, and I'm gonna tell you why I love the books. All right, so let me stop. Let me put a little break in here. Hi, DFW Den Gospel Radio family. This is Dr. Sheila Pope. 
Um, I'm the producer and host of Conversations with Dr. Pope, and I'm bringing my syndicated show to primetime at 2 p.m. Mondays through Sunday. I look forward to having many great conversations with you. Uh, Be sure and watch the show on the P.O.P.E. channel on Roku. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook um, at our handle, Conversation with Dr. Pope. Or feel free to reach out and call me at 832-340-5521. I look forward to hearing possible great topics and things that um, are happening in your community that I can possibly share on the radio show. Uh, Again, I look forward to having great conversations on the DFW Dan Gospel Radio Station. All right, I'm back. So let's talk about some of the books. So I'm going to go with the first one because I think this is an important book for right now. Who Moved My Cheese? This is by Spencer Johnson. He's an MD. you know, small book, short book, but packed with what's happening right now. It's, I think it's so current for what's going on. When we talk about who moved my cheese, you think rats? Cheese? Really, Dr. Pooh? No, 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 no. That That's all a metaphor. That's all some things that are symbolic for what's really happening in your life. And right now, many people, because of the pandemic, their cheese has been moved. Their resources, their go-to spots, the the things they've done and used to pay their bills, the way that they have conducted business, the way that they have reared their children, everything right now has changed due to this pandemic called COVID-19. And many people are asking themselves, who moved my cheese? More importantly, how do you get your cheese back? How do you find your cheese? And when we say who moved, it is it's about, you know, you're you're in a sometimes we don't realize, but we are in a rat race. We're doing we're in a in a considered a maze, we're competing, but there is some, in other words, some structure there. There are some barriers there, right? that keep you from going further to the left, further to the right. You can either go forward, go backwards, or stay where you are. And some people right now, they're asking themselves, again, this is a metaphor, right? The cheese is not, you know, Swiss, pepper jack, none of that. It's real, it's real life. It's saying, what do you, what do you want to have in your life? What, where, Whether it's a job, a relationship, money, what do you want? A big house, freedom, health, recognition, spiritual peace. Who Your cheese is what you derive your lifeline through. And I was sharing in the first segment that music is like my cheese. It, it As a creative type, I vibe off of music. I have to get myself all amped up to write chapters for dissertations. I, uh, to edit people's material. I get myself amped up to create videos, to go out and film, to teach. When I go into classrooms, I'm, I'm jamming some type of music on my way because mentally I have to get myself in a place where I am like, I'm ready to go in and give it at this level. 
Well, you if you don't have that, that cheese, that thing, it's like, ugh, your whole vibe is different. Well, right now during this pandemic, a lot of people's vibes are different. They're working from home. If you are used to being the one in the office, you were the one at the water cooler telling the cool jokes and everybody was like, you're the man, you're the woman. You were getting all that recognition from the personal connections you were making at the office. You are lonely at home working remote, you know, in the Zoom meetings. You can't just fire off a quick little joke because everybody looks at you. It's like the structure is different. Things are different. If you're the one who, you know, gets to the, the, the office early, you take great pride in being organized and prompt and everything's in its place, and then you're ready to go in there and shine. Well, <laughs> again, there's no office to run to. Now, even Google said, take the year off. Not technically take the year off, but they're saying work from home. So I was listening to... Uh, a podcast or a show on LinkedIn yesterday. I think it's a Fort, John Fort. And he was talking to another business um owner and he was saying he asked, what is the biggest problem you guys are trying to solve right now? And the biggest problem that they were trying to solve was figuring out how were the hundred thousand employees doing? How are they working remotely? How were they doing their jobs and being as productive as they were when they were in an office? Because when you're in an office, you have that person that you maybe, you know, you may not tell anyone, but you're trying to compete with them. In an office, there's accountability. Someone walks by and say, hey, Joe, how's that project coming? We're at home. There's no one saying, hey, Pope, how's the TV show going? How's the editing coming? How's the radio show coming? I have to be self-motivated. To have that. And I'm a self-starter. I'm a self-starter. So being a self-starter, working remotely, is okay with me. However, as an educator, I do, and I work, I teach online, but I like, I have to admit, I vibe better with people, and students in my classes. I love teaching now online because I can still see, with Zoom, my students. I can see the students in my classes. But... Sometimes when you're just doing online, it is a matter of, of course, you post a module. In the module, there are different things in videos, and you're not having the personal interaction. So there is a difference. Again, your cheese, what do you want? Your health. Right now, a lot of people are looking at, okay, I was not, I didn't even know I suffered with, they say, anxiety, depression. They're finding out when your cheese is moved, your body responds to it. Stress. People have been laid off like crazy. They're looking for jobs. My son, he's 21. He's looking for jobs on the internet. And he's applying and he's been frustrated because he's not getting a lot of the response. He's getting interviews. He's not looking at it that, that, okay, I'm getting interviews. But he's saying, I'm not getting, you know, what I want to have from these interviews. I want a, a full-time job. And I'm trying to explain to him, well, look at it from another perspective. And sometimes I hear him say, well, I'm competing against people who have this or that. And in his mind, in that online world, you don't know who you're competing. So he's made it out to be everybody's highly qualified, more qualified than he is. 
That doesn't necessarily mean it's so, but when you're now looking for cheese, your new cheese, all the things that you like to say, hmm, is that it? Is that true? Is that important? Your mind starts telling you a lot more things than it used to. Uh, that's why a lot of people who are not used to technology are having a difficult time with their cheese being moved. They're used to going in, talking to Sam, wooing Sam, and getting the job and getting uh, coming online. Now people hire you without seeing you. So they don't see your personality. They see your resume. They see your social media. That's what they're looking at. So sometimes when you're looking at who moved your cheese, man, it's critical. Because how do you decide to move forward to pursue new cheese matters. So this one here, by Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer by Dr. Spencer Johnson, uh, MD, great one for me. That was really because I had to start thinking about and I think every time I think about when I left education in the sense that I was depending on education to be my lifeline, my sole source. And when I stepped out and said, God, you're my provider, you're my Jehovah Jireh. When I said that three years ago and meant it, that meant I had to change how I looked for my cheese. I had to change what was important. Was making eighty thousand or a hundred and fifty thousand because I wanted to be a school superintendent, and I knew school superintendents make about depending on what state about four hundred, three hundred something thousand dollars a year. And I said, "Oh, oh, okay. Um, if I'm going to work for myself, is that possible?" And now God is showing me. I help you create your own school. You are the superintendent of your school. You are the principal of your school. You can, you're the teacher of your school. You're the counselor of your school. All of your qualifications that you have that are real and legitimate, you now have them for your school. You use the same stuff you used when you were in working as a school counselor. Now you use it as a therapist in your business. That's when your mind shift changes and you realize your cheese may have been moved, but I've always been one smart little rat. <laughs> I don't care what barriers you put up. You know, I might gnaw my way through. Okay, I, I don't let I don't let things hold me down. It may deter me, but they don't hold me down. And so I really, really, I love that book. Now this one here, the Prayer of Jabez. Oh boy, oh boy, it's by Bruce Wilkinson. This one right here messed me up. Let me tell you why I said it messed me up. It messed me up because one thing happened that I did not anticipate. I read this book and I realized something that when in order for God to expand your boundaries and your borders, you have to be open for drastic changes. You have to be open for him to move you out of your comfort zone. You have to be ready for major shifts in your life. Some come suddenly and some are slow. So well, I'm going to read a few quotes, the things I underline, because I am a reader and I teach my students and I believe this wholeheartedly. You must annotate your readings. I annotate mean I make notes in on my reading because, you know, some people act like a book is sacred. Oh my God, don't write in the book. Well, how do you know? No, if that was an important part to go back to, if you don't annotate, 
Well, okay, that's just me. I believe that is how you put a paper together, how you go back and find things that were important. I hadn't looked at this book in a long time, but I have my annotations. So I'm going to go right here and read off some of my annotations. It was at the time when I bought this. And, you know, unfortunately, I never date when I buy a book. I just I just go with it. So let me look at some of the things it said. It says, live in large for God. Um, you have to talk about, I spoke of a place of one's own with plenty of room to grow. You know, sometimes we have to look at, where are you? Are you in a place where there's room for expansion? When I had an office space, I looked at the fact that there was room for expansion. And I, I, did, I even expanded within that year. And I, that was a mistake. I, I expanded too fast. But I am not afraid to put myself in a place where I know I'm not the biggest fish in the ocean. Sometimes you got to go into a, you know, you might be in a puddle, a little pond right now. Sometimes you got to get out there in the ocean so you can meet some other bigger things. And, and then that means you can grow to the potential that God has for you. You know, uh, uh, an alligator is going to grow at least six feet. Some grow longer than that. If you're not in a place where your body can expand, it becomes stifled. So the prayer of Jabez, oh my God, that one there that said, hey, if you want to have him expand your territory, you got to get out in a place to grow. And so he said uh, on here, I'm on page 32, Lord, add to my family, favor my key relationships, multiply for your glory, the influence of my household. Your home is the single most powerful arena on earth to change a life for God. Can we just drop the mic right there? Where is it you make the most influence? Your home. Now, I'm 51 reading this, and I think when I first bought this book, I was in my early 20s. Maybe 30s. The point is, got a 20-year gap now. And I can tell you, I did not know that back in the day. When I was saying I wanted to be a Proverbs 31 woman, I knew my relationship with my husband, the community was important. I knew that since 16. But no one ever taught me in church that my walk, my light, my greatest mission field is in my home. When I started working as a principal, for the Even Start Family Literacy Program. One of the mottos that they taught, that they had in the program is a child's, te- uh, a child's mother is their child's first and best teacher. I never forgot that because as a mother, and I'm not negating dads, okay, but I'm talking about who normally does the things in the household with the kids is normally the mother, especially in a single mother household. A mother is the a child's first and best teacher. That is phenomenal when you think about it. So if you have a mom that's unempowered, a mom that is scared all the time, a mom with mental health issues, a mom battling so many inner demons, that stuff, how can she empower her children? How can she teach her children how to su- succeed and grow beyond where she is? That's why it's so important that we moms take mental health days, moms take self-care days, moms who own their own business that they take time off, and moms that we realize in all things that when we say we want to be a wife, 
that we're walking out to our children how to show, we're showing them how to be a wife, how to be a mom. We're showing them through our demonstration of our live walk. When you think about the weight of that, it can be overwhelming. So I realized that, you know, when I prayed this prayer and I asked God to add to my family. Now, I was single, I, I think, when I got this book. I got married at 27, so... Yeah, I think I was single when I got this book. And when I was single, I was asked, praying for a husband, praying for a home, uh, a lot of things. Well, at 27, I got my first house single, had it built from the ground up, custom built. That was my first gift to myself. Then the, that was in September. Then the next September, I got married. Then the following September, I had a child. God gave me everything I asked for. Now, <laughs> it's a whole new show about the things I did in that house as a wife. Mm, I'm not, I'm not going to say I did everything I needed to do as a Proverbs 31 woman. I'm not going to even say that I understood that my light was supposed to be a shining light for my spouse. My light was supposed to be a shining light for my child. I think I did a great job of showing my son how to, you know, hustle, how to work, how to how to have work ethic. All those things he I demonstrated with excellence. How to build, I showed that with excellence. I had a problem with being the wife that was going to be home all the time. I wanted to work. I wanted my career, and I didn't know how to have a balance. Uh, that was hard for me. And I, I think, you know, a lot of women are dealing with that still. But when we what I what I asked God for, he gave. He did give me. And then this part about favor my key relationships. You know, back then I didn't know what key relationships were. I think I realized now you have very few friends in your life. You have a lot of folks in your business. You have a lot of folks want to be near you. You have a lot of folks want you to hire them. And you have a lot of folks that want to do business with you. But they're not your friends. They're, they're not key relationships. Some of them are not even people who've shown you who they really are. you dealing on, you know, you, you are handling them or working with them on, on what they show you. That doesn't mean it's true. So I had to realize now, and I, I thank God we're talking about 51, I'm realizing now I have very few friends. And the friends I have, I value those relationships. And I thank God for favoring those relationships and those and, and favor meaning that, yeah, there are people who do certain things just for me. And I respect that and I don't misuse that and I don't break their trust. When people bring me in on a business deal and I'm there representing their organization, I am there representing their organization because I value the favor that God has given me in that relationship. I know I can't get to certain tables unless certain people have opened those doors for me. I don't burn those bridges. That is so key. And as I was growing, I've always had a tendency to be loyal, but I think I was loyal blindly. Now I check people out. I check the character. I don't just go in all in for people without saying, wait a minute, let me watch you a little bit. Let me see who you are. Let me find out what you're doing. Prayer at your best, that, that would never really help me. Um, 
understand what favor is. Also, and I didn't realize this until years later, on social media, and I heard Mike Todd talk about this, when you have 430-something people on your Facebook, and then suddenly you start getting hundreds of friend requests every day, that's God. That's not you. Because you're the same one with the 430-something people now. That's still you. So I do believe this. And a lot of people don't think this. They want to do all these old things on uh, Facebook to, you know, make all these radical statements, go outside their character, put on the front, put things out that they're not really doing. That's not me. God supernaturally gave me, like, in a couple of months, I had grown from 430-something people to about... Uh, I went up to about 4,000 real quick. And I didn't even know, I still don't know to this day what happened. Why did someone say, I want to be friends with Dr. Pope on Facebook? I can't tell you what it was I did. But what he made me realize is that when you pray this prayer right here, (laughs) expand your territory. Lord, I'm going to do what you call me to do. I'm going to go past boundaries that... I can't see. I'm going to get into a bigger pond. I'm going to get in a place where I can ex- you can expand my growth. You better be ready. Woo, because when he does it, it's like, wow, wow, wow. With that, though, as T.D. Jakes talks about, the, the further you get out of the covering at one level, new opposition comes at that level. More attacks come at that level. So you got to be ready. And then he says, He will multiply your glory for the influence of my household. Influence. How do you use your influence? God had to work with me on that. You know, I'm still a Christian. I'm still that girl from 16 that wants to be the Proverbs 31 woman. So with that, I still have to carry myself like that. People come to me with all kinds of questions on things. And I have to go back and say, okay, now now this is what would Jesus do? No. What is the word on that? I can tell you now from a divorce, I can tell you, and I know some women are not going to like this, but I can say to African-American women especially, we are going to have to learn how to taper the tongues. I'm not saying you can't say what you got to say, but I'm saying I've learned the hard way. We need to let God tell us how to navigate the waters with our husbands. We need to learn how to defer without losing our influence. Because what you did to get your husband is vital to keeping him. And I'm working right now. Took me four years to figure that out. And God really has allowed me now. I work with more men Probably I work with more men now than I work with women. And when I say men, men of influence, men who are leaders in the community, men who are businessmen, who are successful businessmen, and women. But I had to get myself together before God could expand that part of me. Until I learned that you can sit in a meeting, not agree with what's being said, sit there, listen. When God gives you the opening to talk to the person that he tells you to talk to and to say it with respect and to say, I didn't agree with that, but 
also to provide a solution, you'll be surprised at the doors that will open. I have learned we don't have to have the last word. I know that was one that was, that was a killer for me. I am quick on my feet and I can think fast and I can speak fast. And that can be, and was my Achilles heel. (laughs) Just because you can say it and think it don't mean you need to. And I can tell you, black men are not, are not going to tolerate disrespect on any level from a sister. And just because we feel like we're their wives, we should have the flat platform to say any and everything, we can't. I realize now we have to be the ones that's the edifier in the home. We're the ones, like I said, about that influence, our light. Our light has a shine in our house more than anywhere else. So what I won't tell my boss, I show shouldn't tell my husband. What I won't say to my um, peers at work or my friends because I'm, I'm afraid to hurt their feelings, I need to have that same reverence for my husband. And and, and not, your, not your boyfriend of 10 years. Now, not your boyfriend who ain't talking about marrying you. No, you need to leave him because you need, we're talking about the difference between a man that's marrying you versus a man that's laying with you and pretending he wants to be with you. That's a whole nother show. But I'm just saying, if you're already married, legally married, then this this conversation is about and for you. All right. And then also, one of the other things that I got from this book, the fear that it takes to expand. Uh, when, 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 when the Holy Spirit comes in and they say he breaks through emotional and spiritual battles right before your eyes, you, you know, you have to say, okay, wait a minute. This right here, this part that messes you up because you have to be careful what you ask for. A lot of us are saying, I want to have my own business. You do? Do you want to pay the price for having your own business? Have you checked at how many people have lost houses, lost cars, been homeless, doing the process of building the business? Are you ready for that? Are you ready to downsize? I've had to downsize every year I've had to downsize because my old lifestyle was at a lifestyle that had a certain amount of money to fund it from me working. Now I have to work for me and trust God to bring clients to get, you know, know how to proper way to get paid. Ooh, it's a lot. It's a lot. So this prayer your best is, I mean, the thing is so short. The book is 87 pages. I'm just telling you, if you really want to talk about God's favor, power, protection, promotion, how to unleash that in your life, this is the book. It it, it will do it, but be ready. Be ready mentally for the change. When I I shared I was ready to, uh, I asked God for a new position. I I knew I was um, finishing up my counseling program, and I was working in Aldine at the time, and I knew in order to get a counseling position in Aldine, someone had to die, someone had to retire, or someone had to quit. And even then, if I wasn't friends with the person who was hiring, I still might not get that job. You could interview. I did. I interviewed. I had good interviews, but I did not get hired. And one day, an opportunity came up, and I forgot how it happened, but the opportunity was in Angleton, Texas. And I was married at that time, and I remember asking and talking to my husband about it, and I was like, 
Angleton is almost 100 miles from where we live. If I get the job as a counselor, I'm going to have to drive 100 miles going and 100 miles back. And he said, you don't need to go way out there. That's out into the boondocks. Do you know what's about the racial makeup of the people of the community, Sheila? What's, what's out there? I said, I don't know. All I know, I got 20 years of waiting line here or I can go out and take the interview. So I went before I had, I got the interview, but I went the day before so I wouldn't get lost. I am directionally challenged. Ooh. So I got in my car. I drove all the way out. And when I got to Angleton, I was like, oh, my God. I, I saw one black person at the store. And I'm, I'm Louisiana. I'm from Louisiana, uh, Alexandria. Um, and so I'm country. Country people know how to approach country people. When you pull up, you, you, you say, hello, hi, I'm looking for. And this uh, uh, older black man was so nice. He said, okay, the school's right over there. And I was like, oh, okay. And when I, I went over, I said, ooh, okay, I know how to get here now. But then I drove around the community to see how many people could I see? What did it look like? I'm looking for economics. I'm looking for, you know, the how the neighborhood is divided. Because you can tell whenever you get into the black part of a neighborhood and you start getting them MLK boulevards, and you know you're in the black section. When you start seeing couches and all that old stuff in certain in, in small towns, right, you, you know, the, the economy, everybody's not wealthy there. Everybody's not, you know, filthy rich. So I, I started looking and saying, okay, okay, I can, I can handle it. This my people. I can deal with that. I didn't see very many black people. I saw some Latinos and I saw some white people. And I thought, okay, are you ready for this? And when I met my, um, she became my boss, I went into the school. I vibe with her immediately. I could, I saw the school. I felt right at home in my spirit. I knew I was okay if she chose me. And I knew I'd have to make that drive. And I couldn't be late. See, I had a tendency to be late for work. Ooh, you can't make up a gain on 100 miles. Oh, no, no. So I had to knowingly say, okay, I'm going to go here early, take my son, because he was smaller. He was, um, he, he was an infant, matter of fact. So I found a daycare. This was all a leap of faith, but God expanded my territory. I went to Angleton, got the first job I interviewed for. I became the counselor and principal designee at Westside Elementary. Uh, I thank God for Miss Babb today. She hired me. Um, when I went to our first meeting with the other counselors, I found I was the only black counselor for elementary. There were other counselors, most of them female, very nice women. Then I met my other friend now, who is Jimmy. She was a high school counselor. Jimmy's African-American, but Jimmy spoke uh, Spanish fluently. Oh, I love Jimmy. Anyway, once I got there and, and, and realized that, and then I realized, too, I was going to be an administrator. See, I thought I was going to be a counselor, but the way Angleton had their setup, you were an administrator, you were a principal designee, so they needed me to have my certification. I already had my mid-management, my principal certification. I already had my counseling license. I was done. So God had already prepared me before he sent me. And once I got out there and I got the job, I had to learn that no longer was I going to be like friendly 
hey, here comes Miss Pope. No, teachers saw me as someone to watch, not in a negative, but I was an administrator. I was going to be one of the people sitting there, you know, with the, when they were getting written up, I was going to be the one when they were out, when my principal was out, I was in charge. I was in charge of them. That was, I didn't expect that. But see, when you pray, when you read this book and you really pray it and mean it, and he started moving things around, I had to learn and shift my whole lifestyle. That expansion came quick. <laughs> and once I got out there, he moved me and promoted me again to be the principal of my own program, which was uh, the Even Store Family Literacy. Other women who were um, doing the Family Literacy program, some were considered directors, but I was a principal. And and I thank God for that because being a principal uh, for those, those years on my service record, people, oh, you were a principal. Yes, I was a principal. And I had a staff, a secretary, a teacher's, reports just like every other problem except here's the difference i worked autonomously i didn't have to go in and grind with star i I wasn't under the same pressures that they were but god but god he'll move you from a counselor for two years i served with her and then i moved to be the uh principal of my own program i stayed there and then when i left I, i moved back to higher ed and so that was a short amount of time. Best time of my life I spent down there. I worked with so many families, basically Latino and um, um, families, black and um, Caucasian families. I helped change the lives of many of the women. You see how God works? You go down there and he had me helping other women become empowered. And in the meantime, they taught me how their culture worked with marriage. I needed to know that because little did I know I would be going through divorce after some time. And I learned so much from the Latina, Latino culture about family. I learned how men, how uh, what role they play. And, and I learned so much from that whole experience that I treasure now. And my former secretary and one of my former teachers are still two of my good friends. I still go have lunch with on the regular They are still people I would hire today on any assignment I get. I would make sure I put them in on that money because they were that good to me. So I'm saying to you, when you read this one, prayer at your bed, you better be ready because that one there is wah. Next one. This one goes with today too. Eli Wazell's Night. Mm, Night. This book I taught uh, for my AP courses and, you know, Oprah had it as, as one of her picks, but I wasn't, I'm just gonna be honest. I didn't, I didn't get into it as much until I taught the book until I taught it to my AP English class. And then I realized how powerful quiet compliance is. And I say that because today in today's world right now in our government, we have a lot of people who've been very quiet, and complicit. See, we don't think about that. When 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 you read this story, it is it's a biography of when Eli was a teenager, when he and his family were taken from their home in 1944 to the Auschwitz concentration camps. And then they he he tells all of the 
all of his experiences, he puts it in a book. He shares it. And so it's written from his perspective, a teenager. Well, he's going back as a grown man, talking about his teenage years, and he talks about the death, the death of his family, the death of his innocence, the death and the despair of, of how the Jewish people were treated. And it's if you when you read it, you have to be ready mentally for what happened. When you realize that people could have stopped Hitler many times over, but no one done anything to help them. When you have a leader that stands and say, we're just going to take all of your wealth, all of your culture, all of your history, put you in some camps because we can. And others around the country are like, we've heard some, some rumblings, but we're not going over there because see, that doesn't impact us. See, Dr. King wrote the letter from Birmingham jail to pastors. People think, oh, he was just writing it to the Klan. No, 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 no. He had a target audience. It was the clergy, the white clergy at the time. He was saying the same thing that Eli Wiesel said. How in the world can you guys act like you don't see social injustice? How can you act like you don't see black people being sprayed with water hoses? How can you act like you don't see women and children and men being hung just because of the color of their skin. How can you act like you don't see it? More importantly, you see it and you're not saying anything. You're not using your pulpit, your churches to change the hearts of the people. Well, that's what this book was about. He wasn't writing to the clergy. He was saying that everybody was quiet during this time. Then people, there were some hearts. You know, you got the other stories of the books about men and people who intervene. But it, this was, we're talking about wiped out families, generation of families. So one of the things he said on page 69 from the book, this again is Night by Eli Wiesel. I hope I'm saying it right. And he won the um, Nobel Peace Prize. He said, I did not fast. First of all, to please my father who had forbidden me to do so. And then there was no longer any reason for me to fast. I no, no longer accepted God's silence. As I swallowed my relation, my ration of soup, I turned that act into a symbol of rebellion, of protest against him. And I numbered on my crust of bread. Deep inside me, I felt a great void open. This is a man that talks about the fact that he had to battle in, internally to to talk about how he felt about God, his relationship with God, when you see people that you love disappear. They come into a camp, they go out somewhere, they don't ever return. Can you imagine that? Well, slaves did it too. That kids, then suddenly somebody come in and take your child and put them on a whole nother plantation somewhere else. Things were happening when kids were missing, adults were missing, loved ones were missing. He shared all of this, and he talked about just like the gold. They even took the gold that was in their teeth. You know, they they to pay him for they they took out the gold in your teeth. That 
when you when you read this book, the um the imagery is so strong because he paints serious he paints pictures that are very clear and and, and you can see you can feel what they went through. You can feel the pain. This book is one that you go, okay, if you're going to be a community activist, sometimes you're going to have to say, are you going to be that person that has fear? Because sometimes when you're out here advocating for seniors and advocating for others that have no voice, you have to talk to people who have power, who are quietly complicit, and they don't want to be awakened. They don't want to be shaken. They don't want the pot stirred. They want to stay just the way they are. And uh, how do you do that? How do you make that? This, this, how do you do that? People were also sexually abused in these camps. Uh, they took their names and they gave them. He became A-7713. And from then on, he said, I had no other name. Um, and you'll see a lot of people who went through this whole the whole thing that was through the Holocaust, they have they have numbers tattooed on them. And so they share their stories. Steven Spielberg is a director, and I know y'all know from E.T. and Color Purple. He did a whole movie about this documentary on, because his family, is he's Jewish, and he talked about how the numbers, what they meant. You know, we, we don't think about it, but in slavery, the slaves that were stolen from their homes from Africa and surrounding areas, they had names. But when they came here, they were given other names. Boy was the first one. Nigga was the next one. But then they had to give them numbers, names so they could deal with them and when they want them to do stuff. Okay? So taking a person's name is so, so vital to stealing their identity. So this book, Night, if you're a community organizer, you're a community leader, you're an activist, you're a teacher, you're a person that says, I want to do more, this is this is a good book. But it also tells you, you can't hide anymore once you read it. <laughs> you can't be quiet and complicit in allowing someone to do what they're doing. And I'm going to say this, the reason I think it's important today, because our president... I respect our president. I respect the office. But our president has done and said some things about groups of people. He has done and said things that has not been to the benefit of all Americans. And in that, uh, many of us have been quiet and complicit. Right now, he's with the Biden and um, Harris ticket. He's already starting in on Kamala Harris, questioning does she qualify questioning, um, you know, making racist remarks, saying her character, questioning her character, it's already started. And this is the president of the United States, and no one is calling him to task. Let me say this, though. People are now, the newspapers are saying something, but when he first started office, people were not saying very much. They allowed him to say and do whatever he wanted to do. And I'm not saying the president should be held to you know, constraints where he can't function. But I'm talking about when we hear the wrong stuff, you have to call your leaders on it. Because if you don't watch it, they'll become Hitlers. Not saying the president is a Hitler. I'm saying anybody at your job, 
anybody in your home, if you allow them to abuse, mistreat others that are underneath them, you will have tyrants. And this kind of stuff that happened at the camps, the concentration camps, happened because those that were around did nothing, said nothing. This man was burning bodies. No one said nothing. And people benefited from it, but no one said something. So this is the book. When you're ready to, really ready to have your conscious prick, this is the one you read. The other one, Ernest J. Gaines, um, he wrote A Lesson Before Dying. I, I teach this a lot uh, at the college level and high school. And a reason I love this book is because it talks about, first of all, I love the language. I love the way when you open the book, the lawyer comes out and he describes, this is a lawyer who's supposed to be advocating for a man who has special needs. And he is comparing him, I think, to a, I want to say, was it a pig? Um, there's a, a robbery and the man that, was there he really didn't have anything to do with it but he is now going to have to fight um he has now been found guilty of uh, robbery and murder of the first degree and now he's got an all-white jury and here we are we have the lawyer who is saying okay uh now this is what the lawyer says what justice would there be to take this life justice gentlemen why I would just as soon put a hog in the electric chair as this. I thank you, gentlemen, from the bottom of my heart for your kind patience. I have no more to say except this. We must live with our own conscience. Each and every one of us must live with his uh, own conscience. And the jury retired and returned with a verdict after a lunch. Guilty of robbery and murder of the first degree. Again, he... He said, now this is the lawyer. Oh, pardon me, pardon me. I surely did not mean to insult you until by saying, man, would you please forgive me for committing such an error? I mean, he went into degrading the man that he was supposed to be paid to represent. And the story goes on to talk about the process of this young man who was found guilty and of a teacher deciding how he was going to work with and educate and get this young man through the process of getting ready to face the chair. And Ernest Gaines is an African-American writer. And, I, I mean, he tells about this whole story, what happens. Uh, it's, it's, it's emotionally riveting. But, it, again, it goes back to kind of like with the night story where we know this happens every day in the criminal justice system. People, especially those who have mental, um, like, say, retardation, uh, the, they're not functioning at the normal. The, the IQs are below 70. Th this this happens a lot when you get people who are caught in the wrong thing and they don't have the right representation. And then they just they just become a victim all the way through the trial, all the way through the process. Then once they get in the system, there's other victimization that takes place. And I, I just love this story because it was really written because uh, Ernest J. Gaines saw uh, uh, electric chair and he was like um, I think I want to he wanted to write a story based upon what happened and I think they put someone in the chair the person didn't die they had to do it again and I mean you know now they try to make it to be more humane to kill you okay it's your death sentencing 
So anyway, that was another one. Roots. Oh, I read Roots and Roots changed my life. I was on punishment when I read Roots and my mother said, go read something. I chose Roots. Alex Haley's Roots. I didn't watch the TV show. I read the book and my God, I carried this book with me everywhere. Chicken George, all the characters, all the weaving of the stories. It it was just transformational to, to learn how our people were brought here and how they were treated and then turned around and made families and lived lives on plantations with never knowing when they were going to be harmed, moved, sold, no control over their life. But yet, but yet, they, they were family. They live lives. That that was awesome. To kill a mockingbird. The one word that I always use since I've read the kill a mockingbird is taciturn. <laughs> I read with a dictionary. Okay, if you're gonna be a write a reader and a writer, you need a dictionary. So when you're reading words you don't know, you need to annotate them, circle them, make note, and then go and look them up and then practice using them. Taciturn means one that is without, to, you know, don't speak too much. They're quiet. Well, I will never be described as taciturn, but I see it on Jeopardy. I see it a lot of places. And of course, if you read The Killer Mockingbird, you understand it's in the same era that I, the genres of the books, but talks about a black man who was falsely accused of raping a white woman. That's still going on, 2020. And um, the girl lied and he lost his life. And it goes through the whole trial where the do- the girl, the uh, Harper Lee is the author of the book. She 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 goes through and she's asking questions. And her dad, she's been raised by a single dad, and she has a brother. I mean, it it goes through and it just tells you how how kids see and learn about death and racism and all of the things. I got so many annotations in this story because. Man, when I teach it, I just I just love it. Uh, Jim, um, I, I'm going through looking at it. I, I, Boo, they have a person that is uh, mentally, mentally ill. Again, I, I, it's so much going on that to kill a mockingbird. I don't want to even go there too much. I want to try to get to all of them in my little time I have left. Um, seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Well, Stephen... Covey. Anybody in business has read some of Stephen Covey's work. If you haven't, you you hadn't been in business. You hadn't taken a business course. You hadn't heard about it. What? Okay, they have so many now, these seven habits. But when you go through and you read the habits, it makes you ask yourself, are you effective? Are you an effective leader? Not just a leader. Can you move and motivate others to action? It talks about your character traits. Here's one, integrity, maturity, and abundance mentality. Ooh, goes back to what I said earlier. If you can't put yourself in a spot that you can grow more, think bigger, want more, you might not be an effective leader. You might not be ready for the prayer of Jabez. You, you. You might not be ready for any of these books I'm talking about so far, but if you hadn't read this one here, made me. I need to read. I need to go back and read this one again. It was so good. Okay, I'm trying to save my best for last. 
Brad, Scarface, Diary, Diary of a Madman, The Ghetto Boys, Life, Death, and the Roots of Southern Rap. Now, oh my goodness, you sleeping if you hadn't got this one. If you love Scarface, if you watch his video, his uh, Facebook videos, and you listen to his commentary, he's real sharp now. He's all, and he ran for city council in Houston. But he also had a life of dealing with mental health issues from being suicidal, depressed, bipolar. He makes, he does not hide any of it. This book, he is so self-effacing. It is, oh my God. I'm, I'm going to try to get an interview with him. I, I was, I was ready. I thought when he was running for office to, to do it. Now I think I'm mentally like in my game. Now I can say, okay, I'm ready to ask to interview him because he is, this book is phenomenal. Um, he talked to, um, I forgot what it was, Hill, Jamal Hill. Oh, I forgot that guy. He did an interview I know on, um, and he talked about the book extensively. It is so good. But to read the book, you got, don't cheat yourself. This one will change you because you realize what he went through to write his rap, how he, how he worked with um, Prince, not Prince, Roger Prince, James Prince, how he, how this whole thing that rap, Southern rap, hip hop rap here in Houston, you get a chance to see how it all evolved and what it took to make him become a success while he was still dealing with all the things from his past and his childhood and all of these things. It's very, very good. And if you have, you know, a lot of people don't want to hear black men tell their stories but we need to. We need to hear what black men have to say about what they deal with when it comes to mental health issues, especially if you are raising or in love and you love black men. You know, you want a black partner? He tells you. Look at Kanye West right now. A lot of our creative types have other issues. So with that fame comes the other side. Can you love them when you know they need their medication? All right, I'm just saying, this is a good book. Jay-Z, Decoded, another one of my good books. I learned that Jay-Z, from this, reading this book, that Jay-Z never, he started out writing his raps, but after somebody stole his notebook with all his raps, he started keeping them in his head. Now, that told me right there, Jay-Z is exceptionally smart. Nobody talks about that. You know, he's, about, he's a great rapper. I look at the brother as super smart, and look at how he's evolved from a rapper to a businessman to a mogul. Um, it all starts in his book, Decoded. And uh, Oprah even said it's one of his, uh, uh, selected as one of her book, uh, her favorite books. And uh, the pictures are beautiful. It's a beautifully put together book as well. A lot of good stuff in here. He talks about his philosophy, how he sees himself. And, and again, the word, he decodes, he breaks down how Jay-Z has evolved to be the mogul we love. All right. And I got a few minutes. I can't believe it. I've talked myself to death. Okay. Terry McMillan. Anything on Terry McMillan, I love. Pretty much. So I'm just going to say she's moved me. The Pack. This one here has been, I give this book away to people. Um, the, It's called The Pack. It's three young men make a promise and fulfill a dream. Doctors Samson Davis, George Jenkins, and Ramnick Hunt. They became doctors. And if you have children who are uh, going, like, want to go to medical school, they need to read this. They, if you have people in your life, black males who are aspiring to do anything, 
You need to get this for him. This is a, oh my God, moving, well-written. Is three. You get three different perspectives on their journey. Each one tells their story. They talk about getting into trouble, uh, legal trouble. This is a great book. I think it also works with, it, it helps because I don't think we realize how much we need others in our network to support us as we grow. That's why I have off the special network. You need, as you grow, you need people who are there to hold you accountable and to support you through the growth because they understand what you're doing. This this book, The Pack, it helped me a lot. All right, I'm trying to get to my favorite one. I'm going to round it off. I'm going to bring this back tomorrow. But Sam Walton, Made in America. Oh, if you don't have this one, he's always in Walmart. <laughs> this book. This man, it's, it's, it changed me. I, bought, I started in June 2004. I completed it on July the 3rd, 2004. I wrote in this book. I, I annotated. I, when I read this book, I learned how to change my whole mindset. I taught. I learned to change. I, we had a playground in Angleton. It was old. It had been there for 20 years. After I read this book, I got that playground removed, another playground put there. It should have been a little bit more for older kids. But nonetheless, I did what I set out to do with the PTA. I got someone else to use their money to get my project done. And that was fantastic. because All because I read this book. I learned how Walmart started the POC thing. I learned how you don't lease land. And why you don't. I learned so much from this book. He talks about real estate. He talks about selling low and selling in volume. If you want to learn about price point, that's on page 25. If you want to learn about having someone steal your business, because I'm going to share this before I end the show. He had a place he had already leased out. Um, he was doing great volume. Everything was, the people were coming. He was making money. And then when it came time to renew the lease, the lease owner said, we're not renewing the lease. And then the lease owner kept the store going for himself. And that today is why Walmart don't have any places where they lease a spot. Walmart always owns the the land that they build on. And that's why when you look at people look at Walmart and they say, Oh, it is a store. No, they're in the real estate business too. So I, I gotta bring that back up tomorrow. I got I'll come back tomorrow with this one because I just can't get enough of this one. I gotta take my time. All right. So today's show, I talked about, you know, what moves my soul, what are you feeding your soul? I shared my books, I shared some music. I hope everyone um We'll go back and, you know, look at look at what you're reading. Why are you reading it? And also, look at the music you're listening to. What is it saying to you? Are you feeding your spirit? Are you feeding your soul? Are you getting, are you getting inundated with things that move you to be productive, that move you to rejoice and thank God for the blessings he's given you? Or are you reading and listening to stuff that's bringing your spirit down? If that's the case, stop reading that trash. Stop listening to that trash. Don't put that in your time. I'm going to bring up podcasts and stuff tomorrow because there's some more podcasts out there. 
um, that people are listening to. And I just now starting to get out there and go, there's a ton of podcasts to listen to. But today I wanted to make sure I covered this um, topic. I am going to come back and have one just on Sam Walton's book because I think any good businesswoman should learn from a good business man. <laughs> and if you don't, uh, if you've never shopped in Walmart or Sam's, you don't live in this world. Okay? Because there's not one woman that don't get up almost in this world and go to Walmart at least one time. And since the pandemic, you know, ours has been closing at 8 o'clock. It almost rocked my world because a lot of times, you know, I would go to Walmart early in the morning because it's quiet. You can stroll through and shop. If you drop the kids off at school, it's all peaceful. And then you can go in there late at night and it's peaceful. So cutting out the time and changing things has really made me say, okay, plus my money's changed, so I can't be in Walmart all the time. But uh, I'm just trying to tell you, Walmart is, is so much more to what's behind Walmart. And if you want to be a successful businesswoman, reading made in, Sam Walton's Made in America, that's a start. That's a start. All right. As usual, guys, y'all have a great day, and I look forward to having you tomorrow listen to my new show. Okay? Have a great day. Hi, DFW Den Gospel Radio family. This is Dr. Sheila Pope. Um, I'm the producer and host of Conversations with Dr. Pope, and I'm bringing my syndicated show to primetime at 2 p.m. Mondays through Sunday. I look forward to having many great conversations with you. Uh, be sure and watch the show on the P.O.P.E. channel on Roku. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook um, at our handle, Conversation with Dr. Pope. Or feel free to reach out and call me at 832-340-5521. I look forward to hearing possible great topics and things that um, are happening in your community that I can possibly share on the radio show. Uh, again, I look forward to having great conversations on the DFW Dan Gospel Radio Station.